Hello and welcome to Saffron Cut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today, I'm excited to welcome Alex Ellis. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great. So, Alex, can you give us an intro about you and your work? Yeah. So, this is something that's changed over the years. If you were talking to me in 2006, I'd say I was working in an enterprise company as a software developer using mainly .NET and C-sharp type technologies, and that I was beginning to learn about Node.js, Python, Linux, and not just learn it cursory, but really go deep, building proficiency with Go. And then if you asked me in 2017, I'd say I'd created an open source project to make serverless functions portable, to run on your own infrastructure. And I'd say it's got to the point where people are telling me to quit my job and I need to focus on it full time. And I'm looking at a few offers and I'm not quite sure what the best option is for me. And I go ahead and take a balance between compensation and retaining the ownership and the direction of this open fast project that's been created. I work with another enterprise company, funnily enough, for 13 months, have a team, build out the project and get it a bit bigger and go to KubeCon, have end users talk about how they're using it in production, get my team mentored up and coached and have them going and presenting with end users and and really see the project and community grow. And then towards the beginning of, I guess, 2019, I am back out in the world again. And I don't have a good option of how to work on OpenFast full-time. There's just no job available for that. The users of the project don't pay the company, don't pay the project, don't pay me anything. And so it's kind of difficult. I don't want to abandon the project. It's got so much potential. It's had so much impact. And now I'm really, for once, stressed, concerned, exploring all sorts of options and decide to just go it alone because I can create that job for myself. And so over the last 18 months up to now, I've been helping companies almost flat pack assemble communities and partnering with companies like Equinix Metal and Rancher to help them really engage and reach and excite developers with technical marketing, with engineering, with podcasts and webinar presence. And also, you know, a level of strategy. So that's actually worked out okay so far. On one level, I'm not working full-time on OpenFAS. I am actually spending a considerable amount of time helping other companies, but I still get to work on it and with a significant amount of my time. And that's kind of where we are today. Great. And yeah, in the prep part of the podcast, we talked about the Open fast and the journey, which you gave us intro to. You also touched upon what's next for the open fast and how you see it. So can you give us maybe a more in detail overview of what was the motivation for the open fast? And if you have like, you know, some concrete plans where it should go and how it ended up. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that is a constant struggle, and I'm sure people are tired of hearing about this now is that open source is not a business model and there is no way to do open source and get paid for it. There just isn't. I mean, you can take 
oodles of cash from a venture capitalist and spend it, but that isn't a business, right? You've got to create something that a company, a buyer is going to be motivated to part with cash for and to the amount that is going to sustain and back up the goals that you want for your business and project. That's just something that just keep coming back to. And so in 2020, as we've just had, we've done some custom development work within the OpenFast community, hired some of the community as consultants to come in and and sort of stretch what we can do in quite a small company, but it's not quite enough. And so I've been doing business development and figuring out what kind of features wouldn't compete with the community, but would make sense for a company that's using OpenFast in production. One of those features is SSO. So there's a blog post that we've written up this year on the blog. You go there and you bring your own Okta, you configure it with OpenFAS, pay for a license, and then you can invite your team. And it just upgrades the authentication for you. Going forward into 2021, you know, there's a bit of a juncture here. It's either we wind down OpenFAS, we close down the project, and that's it. And just say, we tried for four years, couldn't get any money out of it. And users will have to figure out an alternative or we just keep at it, trying different things until something sticks. And it may be that there's a new UI we build or some supported event connectors or integrations that companies will pay for. And who knows where it will come to. But that's something that over the last four years, almost every month I've been coming back to is, should we keep going with this? It's completely unsustainable. It's a huge burden, but also it has a really energizing community around it. There's many different open source users and end users at commercial companies. But, you know, I'm not a charity worker and neither are the community. We need some way of getting this to the point where it can pay for itself. Hey, everyone. Sanford has published an open source book called CI/CD with Docker and Kubernetes. It combines just the right amount of best practices and practical advice for shipping cloud-native apps. Download your free copy today at sanfordci.com. I don't have a first-hand experience uh, with you know trying to do something like that. You like earn money from open source work. Although I know from the university days, it always attracted me. I kind of wanted to add some lines of code to the Blender. I don't know if you know that open source project. Yeah. But yeah, coming out, you know, you just have to start something which, you know, starts paying money. <laughs> and that's how me and my now partner at Sanford started first our Rails consultancy business because a web was a thing. It was like 2009. And yeah, <laughs> that's how you pay bills. You write some code in Ruby, you make some Rails apps and yeah, move from there. And we ended up bootstrapping like a Sanford. So it is different to a large extent to what you have been describing, but it's also, let's say, a typical journey compared to taking a lot of VC capital and then, you know, just burning it relatively fast, but progressing further at a very fast pace. That's not what describes bootstrap businesses generally. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the things that I've particularly enjoyed is reading Getting Real by Basecamp. Yeah, I can say the same. You know, the author talks about starting with a really small thing that 
can deliver value that you can sell and then building upon that. And I have seen a resurgence or even maybe a kind of a subculture of micro SaaS indie developers. And I don't know if that's what I want to be and if that could pay for OpenFaz, the project and community. However, I'm interested in it. And because I put this business head on, it's allowed me to go on and try other things. So one of the projects that developed similar to OpenFaz is that I saw an opportunity, a pain point and developed a solution for it, shared it with the community, saw that it got traction and kept on building on it, built a community around it, got other people to contribute, some from the OpenFaz community and some completely new that I hadn't met before. That's okay. What I noticed was it's working with various cloud vendors and they all have their own managed Kubernetes marketplaces and offerings, but they're locked down and they're locked in. So why would I contribute a chart for cert manager to one of these platforms when I can only use it there? And I found also a lot of repetition in tutorials I was writing. So I was doing technical marketing or engineering as marketing, I would call it, for these companies, having to repeat 10 commands to install Cert Manager, three commands for OpenFaz, five for Nginx, 20 for Istio. And then by the time you've gone through all of those and you keep repeating it, the compound effect is distressing. So if you want someone to adopt your software, Arcade install Semaphore, and now I have your agent in my cluster with default settings, then I just have the same tool to install everything else I need, or most of it. That can get me productive very fast. And also when it comes to creating a tutorial, it makes it much more palatable. Developers are much more likely to go and try that. So Arcade started, you know, in the same vein as OpenFaz. This is not going to be sustainable. It will get big and then it will be too big to work on. So I floated the idea of sponsored apps, a company like a Semaphore, a Sysdig, a Venify that has an agent or a commercial product that's not open source would pay us an amount to create an app for them, to write a blog post promoting it, and then to support it for 12 months. And I signed the first customer last year, Venify, the company that recently acquired Jetstack and Cert Manager. And so we added their commercial TLS provisioners into Arcade. And that's the first one that sold. And this is an example of what you were talking about, is you just have to try different things and see where there's an opportunity. The other one, um, again, most of the things that I've done haven't been your typical MBA style. Find a niche, explore how big the market is, see what people are willing to pay and do the maths. Although I'm much more interested in that model now. And so I created another project called Inlets. And this one was because that company I was working at in 2018, we needed to get webhooks and I imagine with Semaphore at times when you're doing local development, you'd benefit from receiving a webhook on your laptop. You may turn to something like Ngrok. Well, in enterprise companies, Ngrok, the domain is always banned. You can't use it. We couldn't even do an SSH tunnel and get it through a jump box. So I thought, well, what can I do? I really know well the restrictions of enterprise companies because I've been working in them for 10 years now. And I thought, well, if it can go over HTTP proxy, then it should just work. And so that's what we did. Built a small prototype with a WebSocket. And what happens is you loan, almost parasitically loan a cloud VM and run a server, the tunnel server. You then run the client inside. And 
I tested this when we were on vacation in a little holiday villa in a nature park. And I was able to get my Raspberry Pi taking photos of the window on the internet through captive portal, awful Wi-Fi, and goodness knows how many routers and hops. And I didn't open any ports. I didn't have any admin access because it dialed out over a well-known trusted HTTPS technology. It just worked. Yeah. It's interesting how this exploration of the problems that you're facing can lead you to building different things and how then the community reacts to it and what turns out to be sustainable and what doesn't. Well, that project in Let's, it got a whole bunch of GitHub stars. People were really keen on it. It's got 7,000 GitHub stars now. And if you add up across all its projects, maybe 8,000. But it was the same mistake again, right? I hadn't learned my lesson. I was doing another open FAS and it got to the point where I wanted some more features and I knew it was going to take me two, three weeks to build it. And I thought, I'm not getting paid a salary. I'm not even getting money from companies that use open FAS. I'm not giving that away for free. I'm not giving away three weeks of labor for nothing. And so I just didn't. I made it closed source and I called it Inlets Pro. It had TCP capabilities. You can use it like a VPN. You don't even have to expose the public end of it. And there's been quite a lot of companies contacting us and kicking the tires within Let's Pro to do hybrid cloud. So let's say your Rails app, you've got your MySQL on-premises on an old Windows server. You front-end, you've been able to deploy on a Kubernetes cluster on EKS. You can now tunnel that private MySQL on a Windows server into the Kubernetes cluster privately and access it that way. Or it might be that you even have an on-premises cluster and you tunnel in from Semaphore at the end of your pipeline and you do the deploy stage that way, or you run an end-to-end test that's just too expensive to run on a cloud machine. So that was different because I had to come up with pricing and I didn't know what people would want to pay. And I didn't really want to target developers because I thought it's so hard to sell stuff to developers. I really want to sell to businesses that have got deeper pockets and will get some value from it. And so I gave like a 10 times cheaper price for developers. I think it was in the end. Yeah, it's 10% of the cost for developers and the normal price for a company. And I launched it and pretty much most of the sales have actually been developers so far, but it's still early. And that's then involved developing a brand for Inlet. So it has its own blog. It has the launch site, the pricing page, the feature comparison, But what's kept the community there, even with the closed source parts, is that whether you use the open source tunnel or the pro one, there's an integration into Kubernetes that doesn't care. It just looks for a service and then picks the one that you've asked for and does everything for you. So it now supports maybe 10 different public clouds and IS platforms. And I just wrote the first two to show people how it was done. Hey, I'm going to take a quick break here and tell you that Semaphore has a new book out called CI/CD with Docker and Kubernetes. If you are looking to deploy cloud-native apps, it's going to show you the most productive way of doing that. And the best of all, it's free. Download your free copy today at semaphoreci.com. What you mentioned targeting companies or developers. Yeah, from experience, there are different ways that you can get in into a company, into a team. 
you being, you know, well known in the open source world, that bottom up approach through developers, it's a great way to start. And that's something that we have been also doing for many years. I would say that maybe 70% of our journey so far as a business has been in that way, that we have something good that, you know, people just try and they, you know, get a wow moment and they enjoy using it. And they, you know, then hopefully spread it around the company and, you know, communicate that to their boss and so on. But more and more over time, we have to switch to more like, you know, B2B and top-down approach also. Yeah. So it changes. It changes over time. At different points in the journey of the product, different strategies are uh, right, <laughs> right thing to do. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think the point that I'm trying to make is that perhaps when I think of developers, I think of hobbyists. Yeah. So there are quite a number of hobbyists that appreciate Inlets Pro, and that's because I've spent five or six years of my life marketing and writing to and helping hobbyist developers, whether it's with Raspberry Pi or Kubernetes or the work that I do as a CNCF ambassador in a voluntary capacity. So it's not surprising that they're the ones that use the things that I built. And so it's been a journey to try and understand who is it that's selling into. You know, there'll be an enterprise lead and they'll quite happily book up your calendar with calls and invite a ton of people and not read the materials you've sent them and just lead you on for weeks and weeks. And you might never get anything out of it. Yeah. But, you know, that is a skill in itself. And as as you know, it can lead to very big things. But I think the main thing is you need something that can be paid for and you have to hold it back because if it's given away for free, people will never pay for it. There's just no motivation for it. I mean, there are a number of examples in our industry where super popular open source projects, OpenFast being one of them, struggle to find the business model and to decide where is that line, what is going to be given away from free, and when the company, okay, company is using it, company which is making, you know, hundreds of millions, and they are going to use it completely for free. <laughs> Don't even think about it. You start to do that, and you said that it has been talked a lot about open source has that. For instance, Jose Valim was the guest on this podcast, and you know he dedicated almost a decade to Elixir as a project, and then did a ton of work on Phoenix. For the people who don't know, that's the, let's say, rails of Elixir. But all that time, he was backed by the consultancy that he was co-founder of, and still today, they are doing consulting. And that's the main source of income for the companies. They just need uh, expertise in that area. Yeah. So there is probably that question of how big the community has to be and then what that community can support. Can it be a one-man team? Can it be a five-people team? Or can it be a company of you know dozens of people? Yeah, so as I say, for 2021, Inlets is going to continue to be a priority it's the first real thing that has changed the conversation from we're using your thing in production we're a billion dollar company give us free support no we're not going to pay you no we expect it for free it's open source and or we're just going to make lots of demands on your time too oh i see this tool i think it will help us we're doing a database migration how much is it or we've just bought it this is what we're planning to do with it and that is refreshing and different and i'm still getting used to that and thinking about if OpenFast was augmented as a SaaS, 
would that be attractive? I don't know if it would on its own because there are other places you can run a, a function or a container. But what if there was a niche that applying OpenVAS to it and using it as the base of the hosted service would actually sell? And it might be something that you and I in the community have never thought about. It might be that there just happens to be an opportunity around web scraping and being able to drop your JavaScript somewhere and get the screenshots up later on. That might be a kind of business that would actually then be very clear because nobody is going to say, well, how's this different from Lambda? How's this different from Cloud Run? And they give me an SLA and, you know, it's free. By tapping into a specific need and a specific market, I think it could potentially be something that could be built, or maybe that OpenFast isn't involved at all and inlets basically pays the bills for the whole family, right, for all the projects. Yeah. Well, that exploration phase is what you essentially have been living for a while. So there is definitely some niche somewhere, as you said, like scraping being maybe one example of that. The question is, is it the best ROI on doing that, on doing all those experiments that you have to do and find that niche? That is always a question. I mean, Craig Box from Google that is a developer advocate on the Istio project, he interviewed me just before KubeCon EU and he said, well, you can walk into a job on $250,000 to $350,000 just tomorrow. Why beat yourself up and give all this earning potential away? And it is a question that I do keep coming back to. And I think the mindset that you have to adopt I remember chatting to Jamie Dobson from Container Solutions about this when COVID hit and suddenly the consulting contracts got cancelled with no notice. And he said, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to get into the arena, you've got to get some blows and you've got to be used to taking them. And it's just how many times are you going to get up from that? And the people that succeed are the ones that get up one more time. I found that quite inspirational. And You know, I think even people that outwardly may be succeeding and have some revenue coming in, they probably don't feel much different to myself. And so, yeah, it's getting into that mindset of I don't just want to be a conventionally minded process company man. I want to create stuff. I want to build community. I want to help companies. I want to bring other people into this and do interesting things. Yeah, it's a completely different mindset. (laughs) You have to learn the struggle. I don't know if you know Amy Hoy. She was very, let's say, vocal roughly 10 years ago in the world of bootstrap companies. So she and her husband, Thomas Fuchs, organized a conference in Vienna. It's called SchnitzelConf. And there they invited bootstrap companies that have passed 1 million mark in ARR. At that point, there was Tom from GitHub, one of three or four original founders. There was a Toby Lutke from Shopify. Two of them being probably the most prominent one, but then a couple of others also. As you know, some of those companies are now billion-dollar companies, like both Shopify and GitHub. And then later on, she also has like a time-tracking application for, you know, I think targeting mostly freelancers. Yeah. I listened to her in one of the podcasts, as you mentioned, that the people who are, you know, maybe somewhere that you would classify them as on a successful path, on a successful journey in terms of like earning enough money to sustain a decent team, there is always that next struggle. There will be never time where everything is like perfect. As you sort of one bottleneck, 
another bottleneck in your business, in your process opens up. That is what is very different. <laughs> it's always that life of like, okay, what's next? What is the threat? Also, when you're for a couple of years in something, environment changes. I can identify maybe three separate chunks, let's say in our history, I would say. The first one was, you know, bridging the gap between GitHub and Heroku, testing your application easily, deploying it, having all those tools to be, you know, nice. Just generally do the best for developers. After that, a lot changed and Docker was, you know, came to light. Like I think it was like 2014 or something like that. And then there was a whole era when Docker was the main topic of our whole industry. You know, the biggest conference was DockerCon. As that started sunsetting and Kubernetes started taking off, and then it was part of conversation with a lot of our customers, obviously. Yeah. And as Docker came to a sunset, I would say, the Kubernetes appeared, or it was like kind of happening at the same time, influencing each other. And now Kubernetes is one of the main topics of conversation. And I guess it will be for a couple of years until something else comes up. So yeah, environment changes and you have to adopt. You're right, and opportunities change as well. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the environment change is one of the reasons why I moved on from the company that hired me and built a team for me to work on OpenFast full-time. The environment changed and opportunities come and go. And to some extent, you have to be in tune with that. But I think also you need to stay in your own swim lane. I mean, one of the things I learned early on when I was doing IT contests and you would have to build out a Linux system from scratch, add a webcam, enable network access, rebuild the kernel, and it was over four days. And the trainer said to me at the time is, don't worry about how far other people are along. Don't worry about what they're doing. Concentrate on your plan and what you're doing. And I remember midway through it, and this was probably 10, 15 years ago, is feeling that anxiety about the other people and they've finished already or they're further ahead. But what mistakes have they made? And so it helped me to stay in the game and keep focused on why I was doing what I was doing. I ended up doing really well on that contest. The body and the mind has a natural state that it gets dragged off to. It's like a reflex or an instinct, fear of missing out, wondering if other people are doing things better, if they're making more money. And it's an exercise to keep bringing yourself back to the center. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're competing in the market with your competitors, as you said, you could be, you know, almost getting depressed because, you know, one of your competitors just raised another huge round and did something great. And now you are maybe, you know, three spots behind. It's not a game of ultimate winner. It's the game. Are you getting better? And if you're every day getting better, then you're fine, you know, and you're helping people along the way. So, yeah. Okay. It was a super interesting conversation. We went deep on many subjects and yeah, something to be mentioned in the prep call, there are people who are on their journey in their careers and maybe reaching a certain threshold and they want to figure out what's next for them. So I would say that we can maybe encourage people to, you know, start their own thing and try it. It can work out. And yeah, you and the all work about OpenSense is being one of them. It is doable even with the struggles. The lifestyle is doable. Whether OpenFaz is a business success is clearly still to be determined, but it's been a struggle on that front. 
what I would say is not that there's some point when you become a principal or staff level engineer that you can suddenly go off on your own. I think it's more of a, a leaning that if you feel frustrated with the technologies that you're working with, if you feel like under a shroud or a shadow of past innovation and the way we always used to do things or that you don't have a voice, just have a think about whether you've got the support network and whether you've got the sort of energy to go in and do something on your own. It could be that you just become a contractor and you're gun for hire and you just go between companies doing interesting stuff. Or you might like the path that I've taken, which is I know that there's an opportunity. There's so many companies now in the cloud native landscape that need to connect to developers and struggle not because they don't have enough money, but perhaps they're not doing enough of the right things or they're stretched or they could just use a boost for six months. And I know that that was a good move because that business has sold, right? We've got a pretty reasonable client list after 18 months. And so I think if you've got some skills, if there's something that you can do and that you enjoy and that makes sense to you, you can package that up and you can sell it and you can do okay. Yeah, let's wrap up with that. That's a nice wrap up of the whole conversation. Thank you so much. Whether it will be open fast or something else, I'm sure there will be a success in the end of the road. And yeah, thank you. Good luck. Thanks. Bye for now.